Here's Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 Things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross and Dempsey is denied again. And Donovan has scored. Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA. Certainly through. Oh, it's incredible. You could not write a script like this. For the fourth time, the United States of America are crown champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. New week, new FUVFC. Keenan Troy back here with James Burley and Michael Hernandez. Michael, across the pond in London, me and James holding it down here at Rose Hill in the Bronx. Big week coming up, all things soccer. U.S. men's national team returned to action in three games that could either really help their opportunity in getting into Qatar, or if things don't go their way, U.S. fans could be shaking in their boots. Before we get into all that good stuff, though, got to ask you, boys, first week back at class, Michael, we'll start with you as the one that has traveled the furthest to attend college this spring. How are things across the pond, my man? Uh, yeah, uh, I would say that things are going great. Um, we've, I got here the 12th, so I'd say I've been here for about two weeks now. Um, and yeah, I've, I've just been loving it. Uh, it, everything's been great so far. James, how are you, man? Just getting back into the swing of things. Uh, I'm sure you know how it is. Uh, new classes. Um, yeah, weather's not ideal, but it is what it is. Trekking along. It is January in New York. As I was talking to Michael before you jumped on. The call today, James, was like, it's what you expect from New York in January. Cold and bitter, but you got to appreciate the cold to appreciate the warm, as I like to say. That all being said, it might be cold in Columbus tomorrow night as the United States takes on El Salvador in a pivotal World Cup qualifying game. The U.S. currently sitting second in CONCACAF group state in the group standings, only behind Canada, who they play Sunday. They're trailing the Canadians by one point, and they're also taking on Honduras next week. So the United States, looking at this upcoming cycle, has matches against one, seven, and eight. And if we've known anything, James and Michael, from this U.S. team in terms of CONCACAF, is that it doesn't matter who's on that schedule or where they're sitting in the table because any team can get you as soon as you, you know, look forward to the next game, whether it's tomorrow against El Salvador, or it's against Honduras, looking to end international break on a high note. As soon as you take the foot off the gas, it seems with this group, they don't have the ability to turn it on as some of the you know European powerhouses do, but many of those powerhouses don't even take their foot off the gas. They just keep going and they'll pummel teams into the dirt. So before we get into talking about this entire qualifying window, we had the team released. It's probably what we'd expect. Um, Stefan Turner, you know, Reggie Cannon, Dest, Chris Richards, Anthony Robinson, Miles Robinson, Walker Zimmerman. You know. And then in the midfield, you got Adams, McKinney, Musa, Roldan, Legette. And then up front, you know, really where the United States is, I think, going to make strides is Pepe, Pulisic, Weah, 
And then it kind of gets hard in terms of going off the bench because I don't know who you're going to look to next. Probably Brendan Aronson, but with the exception of Aronson, it might be a little stretched up front. Still no Reyna, which is obviously hurt in the United States as he battles an injury for Dortmund. All this being said, James, Michael, what are we thinking for the United States starting 11 tomorrow night against El Salvador? Well, if we're looking at starting 11, I think uh, it starts with the conversation in goal. You know, Matt Turner, MLS goalkeeper of the year. Um, he has been excellent. Ben, he was introduced to the national team in January of 2021. Um, and Zach Steffen looks like he's not going to be able to play. He's got back spasms. So that's, that's a really big decision for uh, Greg Berhalter to have to deal with is Stefan. I'm, I'm not even sure if he's with the camp yet, but if he's going to have to play through an injury or if it's going to be Matt Turner. Either way, I think the U.S. have enough cover and goal with Turner. Um, the back line, I think we all know what it's going to look like. Destin Robinson outside and then the center backs uh, with no John Brooks there. It's got to be Chris Richards and Miles Robinson. Miles Robinson has been really reliable. Uh, Chris Richards, you know, establishing himself as a top young Bundesliga center back. He has to be involved. Zimmerman, you know, good option on the bench. Mark McKenzie, I'm not super convinced by him. Doesn't get a lot of reps in the Belgian league with, uh, with Hank. And, you know, it's, it's not an ideal situation for him. I don't know, Michael, what do you think for the midfield? Honestly, I, uh, I, I haven't been following the uh, men's national team that much. I'm going to defer uh, back to you, Keenan, for your uh, wise advice. It goes across the Atlantic for two weeks, James, and all of a sudden the American heritage is lost. Right back, hanging out with the queen. Yeah, you know, James, I agree with what you said. That conversation in goal is really interesting. And I think for me, even if Stefan is healthy, I would still ride Turner. Because I think, you know, you mentioned MLS Goalkeeper of the Year. But no matter what degree turn, uh, Stefan, excuse me, is training at City, he doesn't get those game reps. And I think, you know, in this upcoming qualifying window, if I'm Greg Burrowhalter, I want to throw a goalie in. And I know the MLS season ended whatever. And, you know, the revolution with Matt Turner didn't make it to MLS Cup. They got knocked out by NYCFC, the ultimate champions of MLS Cup. But that all being said... Turner's played in more competitive matches recently, and he's also been phenomenal for the national team, especially if you look at the Gold Cup. So I think you'd go with Turner anyway. Something also interesting, Gaga, Gabriel Slovenia, Chicago Fire Academy product, now with their first team. He got called up. I really think he's the goalkeeper of the future. I think we're just going to have to wait and see. But I really like Slovenia's future in terms of what it looks like. I anticipate him moving out of Chicago relatively soon and probably some team in England just because he's, you know, only he's under 20 and he's already getting first team reps with the Chicago fire. Um, but yeah, outside standard, you know, Dest and Robinson and then Robinson in the middle. I really think Deandre Yedlin has played, played really well in the last qualifying window. So if he doesn't get the start against El Salvador, I anticipate him coming off the bench early, especially if they're just trying to protect a lead so that, They've got their best 11 fit for that huge one against Canada. In the midfields, Adams, McKinney, Musa, that's MMA, I think, is what they're going to try and call it. That needs to be standard for the United States until both all three of those hang up their footballing boots. And then up front, I think everyone's expecting to see Pepe, Pulisic, and Wea to start. And then depending on how the game goes, you might see Brendan Aronson introduced. You might see Areola go eat some minutes. I don't know. Burrowhalter's got his work cut out for him up front, but so long as they get on El Salvador early, I'm not too worried. But speaking of that El Salvador game, now that we've given our starting 11 predictions, 
I think there's a question to be asked about this United States attitude towards this game because obviously when you look at this qualifying window, El Salvador and Honduras not likely to give you a scare. They very well could, but you're really concerned about that match on Sunday against Canada as Canada sits, you know, top of CONCACAF. And I think the biggest issue we've seen with Greg Berhalter throughout his tenure is that sometimes he just does not really want to go out and pound teams that he's better than him to the dust. We've seen that, you know, with the Pan- the road loss to Honduras, the road loss to Panama this in CONCACAF qualifying. So, James, I'm asking you, what has the team talk got to be tomorrow so that the U.S. go out and, you know, play to the best of their ability in Columbus, a stadium in which they typically play very well in. Columbus always draws good fans for the national team. But what's Halter got to say to not have a repeat of that Panama match in October? Well, uh, I'm glad you mentioned Columbus because Columbus has been nothing but, you know, a miracle for the United States, the most winningest city in program history, I believe, with eight wins uh, for the USMNT. The team talk has got to be never forget October 10th, 2017. Uh, when this team had very little to play with. They had a 90-something percent chance of qualifying for the World Cup, took their foot off the gas, and ended up watching the Russian World Cup from their sofas at home. So if you're looking at this game where you got the 7th and 8th place teams at home uh, and you're thinking you could take it easy, you have to just remember very recent history to know that that is not the case. Uh, This El Salvador team is, you know, not super flashy, not very... Um, very talented in comparison to the United States, but they are very well coached. Hugo Perez, former US MNT player, is the coach of El Salvador. He knows how to get the best out of his players. This El Salvador team a year ago before he took over was absolutely dreadful, and now they look like a really organized, dangerous side. They could be, you know, they could pack a punch against a team like the United States. They drew nil-nil at the Estadio Cuscatlan in San Salvador. And as for Honduras, even though, you know, we took care of them on the road with a 4-1 win, Aronson, Pepe, and Anthony Robinson got on the score sheet that game. You know, this is a Honduras team that actually does have quite a bit of talent, uh, talent that we've seen in Major League Soccer and talent that we've seen in the top five leagues. You know, you've got Albert Elise plays for Bordeaux in League One, and he is in France, and he is quite a dangerous player. He uh, danced all over the U.S. back line back in the CONCACAF Nations League last summer. Um, a game that the U.S. barely scraped by on an 89th minute winner. So th- these games are absolutely crucial. And should the U.S. get a seven-point week or a nine-point week and some results go their way, they could clinch qualifying now. And that should be the goal, to clinch, clinch qualifying as quickly as possible. And they certainly have the talent to do it, and it's going to be up to proving whether or not they have the mentality to do it. Yeah, I mean – there's really nothing more that I can say besides that. You know, every point is crucial, especially after what happened uh, in the 2018 World Cup qualifiers. Um, and, and obviously, you know, uh, as James said, they drew nil-nil. Um, so it's like, you know, they're going to want to, you know, because th- those were two those were two jumped points, in, in my opinion, I think in everyone's opinion. So they're going to, you know, they don't want to have a repeat of that because if they drop points here and there and eventually, you know, it'll be a repeat of 2017. And I'm sure that no one, no one wants that here. So I would say that the team talk has to be get all three points, you know, don't get cocky, you know, just stay focused, play, play the 90 minutes because, you know, this is a team that can easily win, obviously. So, you know, just focus on that and and get the job done. And I think, you know, to both your points, guys, it's obviously, you want to qualify for cutter and, you know, you want all three points from every match. And I think that if I'm Burl Halter, 
you might be telling your boys, let's get six out of nine guaranteed, and then whatever happens in that Canada game happens in that Canada game. And I think, you know, if he emphasizes that and maybe doesn't prioritize top of the group but prioritizes safety in the group, the U.S. will have pretty much it all but locked up to qualify for Cutter. I think he, you really start losing this team when you just say we're going to put whatever we need to put off to the side in order to get fit for this Canada game and kind of discard El Salvador as a worthwhile opponent. I think that's when it really starts to get worrisome for the United States. And I think when you don't play the consistent 11 that Burhalter plays, and substitutes coming off the bench, so be it. My criticism of Burhalter is that he doesn't know how to use a substitute bench, but it's when he assembles really poor starting 11s that I think we really see this team falter because when there's not that cohesion top to bottom to start the game and to give you 60 minutes of tempo and 60 minutes of, you know, emphasizing the style at which the United States wants to play so those lesser skilled guys can come off the bench and just kind of interject into that system that's been played out for 60 minutes. I think that's where the United States really starts to fumble and allow weaker teams like Panama, El Salvador, Honduras into games. That being said, the biggest one should be circled in red ink is what could be a new rivalry between the United States and their neighbors to the north. Obviously, El Tree is always going to be El Tree, but Canada has really stepped leaps and bounds in the past couple years becoming a strong footballing nation. We look back to September when the United States drew one-to-one, and United States, you know, had opportunities in that game. Let's not make any bones about it. On the counter, they were specifically, you know, looking deadly, but they just couldn't do anything. Then they play Mexico, and Canada ties first one-to-one, and then they beat them two-to-one in that freezing game out in Edmonton. I just think that when we analyze this Canada team, it seems like, I don't want to say a team of destiny, but pretty dang close in terms of a team of destiny just because they've never been considered for anything and the likes of old talent versus young talent. It's just hard. It's hard when they don't have their two best players. You know, Alfonso Davies is still out for this team, and I think that he provides so much in terms of culture for Canadian soccer. But also it's clear to see that he's – the young Philip Lam of this team in terms of a fullback that just absolutely emphasizes what needs to be done on the pitch. So, Michael, we'll start with that. You, how much does the Alfonso Davies absence hurt this Canadian roster? I would say that it's a huge impact because obviously, you know, he is one of those standout players. You know, like when you say Canada, the first player that I thought of immediately was Davies. And obviously, you know, he, I believe he's had COVID implications, but, um, you know, th- this will be a huge miss because he's a he's a very good fullback. You know, he, he can press up. I mean, I remember uh, the game against Barcelona, how he absolutely destroyed uh, the Barcelona fullback uh, in the assist for the fifth goal, I believe it was. So he really is a, a top talent. Um, and I believe that, you know, the U.S. is going to use this to their full advantage. You know, they're probably going to, you know, attack that side way, you know, more often because, you know, the, uh, the Canadian team is going to have to deputize and play uh, uh, their second choice. So it's going to be a huge miss for the Canadian team. And then, James, let me kick it to you, my man, because Michael admittedly tunes out to America, uh, to the U.S. men's national team as soon as he exits the United States borders. But on a, on a harder question for you, James, and something that I'm worried about is, what lineup, assuming Burl Halter goes best 11 against El Salvador, 
what lineup can we expect for this Canada game? Because I've read some stuff online that says, that, you know, obviously the back line's probably going to stay the same. But I think there you could see Greg Berhalter try and be Greg Berhalter and, you know, introduce maybe not different midfield, but maybe a different starting front three, maybe give Jordan Morris a time, some time to get out there, get Aronson in instead of Pulisic. And then probably Pepe's going to stay at number nine. But do you think if the United States goes best 11 versus El Salvador to try and go out and get three crucial points, Burrowhalter is going to go back to back in such a time, short time period of the same guys playing such long minutes? Yeah, it's a really good question because um, obviously this Canada game has a lot of implications for what the top of the table is going to look like. Uh, the El Salvador game is a crucial three points. Uh, you know, it's at home. So you have to go best 11. Uh, there's no dispute there. Um, without Alfonso Davies, I think I was really concerned if Alfonso Davies were to play about who was, would start at that right back position because Alfonso Davies loves to fly up and down the wing when he plays for Canada. And I was really concerned about Sergio Dest because we know how. He struggles when 1v1 defending, so I was going to say DeAndre Yedlin should start against that game. But without Davies, I think you can keep Dest in uh, you know, to push forward a lot. But I think the front three is where we're going to see most of those changes. I think Brendan Aronson has to start. He was uh, fantastic against Canada last time out. Uh, he was the one who scored the goal, I believe. Uh, Tim Weah is another guy who I think will start probably both matches. Ricardo Pepe, I love the way he shakes up against the uh, Canada back line because they play this very rigid back three, back five hybrid with uh, Steven Vittoria at the center. And then on the sides is usually Alistair Johnston, who just signed with uh, uh, Club de Montreal and uh, Kamal Miller. So th they have this very, very strange uh, hybrid system that Canada coach John Herdman has done such a good job of keeping organized that has been, you know, because Canada is so thin in central defense. Like their best central defender is Steven Vittoria, who's about a million years old. and has never sniffed top five league football. You know, he is really, really at uh, very few options in central defense, and they have been able to get the most out of their players. So I think I like the idea of introducing Brennan Aronson, and I would say keep Tim Weah on the wings. Um, maybe give Pulisic a rest in this match uh, because of the way they, they're, they're going to be able to tuck inside. Brennan Aronson does such a good job at this of getting in between the lines of a fullback and a center back, especially when he plays out wide. And that's going to be crucial in order to split, spread out this back three. Uh, Weya, again, is a guy who has been so consistent lately, running at players, getting in behind of players. And that's going to be the key in order to penetrate this Canadian back line that has been you know, quite, quite formidable uh, to this point of qualifying. The United States will round out this winter qualification window against Honduras before a brief hiatus until March where CONCACAF is starting to get into its wrap-up period. Really quickly, guys, I don't know how we can speculate this Honduras game. Maybe we can hop on next week and recap. We should plan for that, maybe a rundown of what we can expect from that Honduras game and recap these games that are happening beforehand. But really quickly, just looking at this Honduras team, you know, we saw them blow a 2-0 home lead, surrendering three goals all past the 75th minute against Panama. And then they followed that up with a Costa Rica loss, conceding in the 95th. All signs show that this Honduras team is competitive, but it kind of lacks that edge just to put teams away or rather just hang in and see results out. I think for Burl Halter, 
everything going into that Honduras game is contingent on what we see against El Salvador and Canada. But I think the bottom line from him is that's a game he should be expecting three points from as well. And I don't think there's any any doubt that he should be able to get three points, barring you know any injuries, red cards, or whatever happens in the week leading up to it. I'm just hoping that Burrowhalter prioritizes you know six points over three, if that makes sense. You know, prioritizes beating the teams he's supposed to beat, and then you know being competitive with Canada and just seeing which way the game shakes out. I'm excited for this qualification window. I'm nervous, of course, just because. Anytime this team takes a field, it's sometimes a question of which team we're going to get. The previous qualification window, the United States showed that they have the potential to play top quality football and deserve a spot in the World Cup. But are we going to get that this week, tomorrow, Sunday, or next Wednesday? I'm not entirely sure. There's only one way to find out, which is to sweat it out together. That all being said, Michael, we have been giving you a hard time about going across the pond and, you know, tuning out to the U.S. national team, but in more exciting news than our dreaded speculations of what this country will do to our emotions. Michael, you did attend Chelsea versus Spurs this past weekend, and I've never had the pleasure of going to top five league soccer in Europe. I went to a Legia Warsaw game, believe it or not. That's the closest I've been to that level. Um, I don't know about James, if he's been across the pond and seen Premier League football Santander, whatever it may be, but Michael, as a guy that was there so very recently, talk us through it. I don't, I don't know where this conversation is going to take us. I don't know what you exactly got on mind. Concession food, bathroom cleanliness. You can give us the rundown on anything you want. But how was the atmosphere? Let's start with the atmosphere for that derby between Chelsea and Spurs. I'm going to say that it was electric. Uh, uh, to just start it off, it, it was absolutely amazing. You know, the entire stadium was packed because you know it was a top six match uh, between Chelsea, who are who who have been slightly uh, falling off in the title race, and Tottenham under new coach Conte. Um, it, it was an absolute. You know, it it was a great game to go to. Um, I the, my seats uh, were pretty uh, close to pitch side, um, and they were on the shed end. So we saw Chelsea attack for the first half, and then. Second half, we saw Tottenham. So unfortunately, the two goals that happened were on the opposite side of the pitch. Uh, so I couldn't really get that great angles of them. But I mean, it, 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 it the atmosphere was great. You know, it was. I I can't wait to go to it again. I'm actually uh, going to the Champions League game against Lille, which is in uh, around a month. So uh, uh, thankfully, I'll, I'll be able to head back to uh, Stamford Bridge uh, to watch Chelsea play again. Uh, the game itself was, you know, it. It was amazing. Uh, Chelsea were, you know, dominating possession. I think at the end of the day, they had like 70%, I think a bit more. You know, they were relentlessly attacking. I mean, the first half alone, they had a, quite a few amount of corners. You know, it, it was, uh, I mean, I, I think it went exactly to plan. Um, Tottenham did have a goal, but it was disallowed uh, because of a push. Um, unfortunately, it was on the other side, so I couldn't really see it. Um, I did see the replays. I mean, I don't know how to answer that one because you know the push it, there was minor contact but you know um, at, at the end of the day it didn't count uh, and then you know Chelsea were able to walk away after 90 minutes with a nice 2-0 win and so Michael you know we've talked about it on this show and I think broadly across the world of sports about COVID regulations and what that might look like and so in your opinion of being you know 
in England. Has that, you know, with the pass being required, has that changed anything about the atmosphere inside the grounds or is it tedious getting in or I don't know what experience you have going to English soccer, but does, or did it just feel like kind of like business as usual getting into a sporting event? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I was slightly nervous just because I because I didn't have the NHS pass because I, I don't live in the UK. Um, but, you know, um, I, I just had my CDC card uh, and that worked. Um, but minus me showing that it was it was business as usual. One thing that I didn't expect uh, were the amount of chants because, you know, obviously they are well versed in their chants. You know, they have plenty of them. Uh, some of them I can't repeat right now. But I mean, you know, it, it was a great atmosphere. Um, yeah. And I just loved it. Um, I'm actually heading up to Manchester um, in a week and a half. So that's for the FA mat, uh, FA Cup match. Uh, so Manchester City is going to be going against Fulham. Uh, so I thought I might as well visit the Empty Head. The Empty Head. Wow. There are still tickets. Like I'm not a. So the the one thing about Premier League tickets, and this is advice for anyone who wants to go. If you want to go to a game, first you have to buy a membership. But get them like months in advance. Liverpool structure, like I can't get a ticket unless if it's secondhand or if I get lucky and 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 a member you know is no longer going and I can get there. Like right now it's sold out. I there's no Liverpool game I can go to right now, which is really irritating. But City, this FA Cup match, it's it's open to general sale, which means it's already gone past the members and past season ticket holders. So, yeah, I'm 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 gonna call it the empty head. Plus the tickets were really cheap, so I will stand by that statement. Then, Michael, my last question about you over in Europe in terms of soccer. I mean, feel free to continue talking about whatever you want this, these last couple minutes here on the podcast today. But I think the biggest thing that all of us U.S. soccer fans, since we're talking about the national team, is this laissez-faire attitude some of the fan base has towards it, which is when they're on TV, we'll care. But outside of their time on you know Fox Sports, no one seems to really care about the national team. So I was just wondering, what was your experience with some of those Chelsea and Spurs diehards over there? Because I'm sure they were turning up before, after, and during the game. Yeah, I mean, oh, over there, it's it it gets pretty intense, and that's to say, you know, the it it, it gets very intense over there. Um, I didn't see any uh, any brawls um, or anything like that um, because you know. Um, uh, in the stadium, there's like a certain away stand, and they had guards all over it. So I didn't see any major uh, things between the two team, uh, uh, between the two fans. But I mean, yeah, it, over here it is way different in how teams care uh, about how fans, sorry, uh, care about their teams. You know, like uh, I forget who said it. Um, I think it was Cantona uh, who played for United. You can change your work, you can change where you live, but the one thing you can't change is your football club. And they take that seriously here. Um, so yeah, I mean, you—they—they they care about it a lot more. You know, even if the game isn't on, they're checking. You know, who who might they bring in? You know, they're checking out. Is this person fit to play? They're worrying about you know things in the future. It's—I I hate to sound like a broken record, but it really is different here. And I think it's great because you know, uh, soccer is my favorite sport. So the fact that uh, I, I'm able to be here um, for. I guess, studying, uh, still able to go to soccer games, it's, it's great. Well, Michael, I think I speak for myself and James in saying that we are incredibly jealous. James will have the opportunity later on the road. I will, I'll send both of you a postcard. Yeah, please do. But I was negligent in terms of filling out study abroad stuff, so I'm afraid I won't be in London, but James, in honor of our legacy of FUVFC, when we're dead and gone and graduated, 
do need to go over to London for both of us. Before we wrap up, boys, three crucial games for the U.S. up ahead. Give me some predictions of this upcoming week. Hopefully we'll be on before the Honduras game to see how well we did, but just in case we have to bump back a recording to a Thursday or whatever, let's go through all three. James, starting with you, you can give me score lines. You can just give me record, whatever you feel more comfortable in doing in case you're wrong. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll wager quite a bit. I'll talk score lines. Um, I'm going to say we set the tone early with a, with a solid win against El Salvador. Um, we go into it strong. We start strong. We finish strong. A good 90-minute performance, 3-1 victory. Uh, maybe one or two defensive slips. Uh, Canada, going to be a tough one. I am confident that we'll get a result out of it. I'm not confident that we'll get a win. I will say 1-1 draw. Um, I do think the, you know, the conditions, you know, it's going to be incredibly cold in Hamilton, Ontario. And even without Alfonso Davies, I think we're going to struggle to control most of the game. I do, I do not think we'll look like we're going to lose at any point in that game, but I do think it's going to be a draw. And then coming back home against Honduras, Honduras is going to be without probably three of their best playmakers in Davy Flores, Alex Lopez, and uh, Rigo Rivas. So I'm going to say a comfortable 3-0 win to the U.S. So a seven-point week for me. Seven points is what I'm going with, too. Um, but I think – and I agree what, with, you know, your predictions, and that's what I'm hopeful for. I agree 1-1 against Canada. I just feel like it's going to be freezing, and the United States, in my opinion, are going to get up on Canada early and then they're just going to try and sit in and not go forward, and Canada's going to get one in probably like the 60, 70th minute, and then it's just kind of going to be a stalemate where the United States doesn't look like they're going to give up the points, but Canada's kind of last-ditch defending. Tomorrow against El Salvador, I think 2 nothing. I think the United States you know, will have a statement game in terms of defending. Looking forward to that Canada game, and also I don't really think that if Burrowhalter plays the back four he's supposed to, I think the last qualifying window, they were very cohesive, and I think they just build on that moving forward, which is great things. And then that Honduras game, I'm going to say the United States only win 1-0. I think that Honduras is going to give them a bit more trouble than the United States is expecting. And, you know, riding the high of the previous two results, I think that the foot's going to be taken off the gas a little bit and that, you know, the United States get out on them probably in the first half and then – Honduras isn't really going to threaten the United States, and the United States just can't find a second one. Michael, take us home. Uh, I'm going to say to start off, uh, I'm going to say a 3-0 win against El Salvador. As for Canada, I don't think it's going to be a tie. I, I just don't think that it's going to end in a draw. One team's going to win it. I'm really tempted, to be honest. Uh, you know what? Why not? Because I don't know anything about the team anyway. Uh, let's go with 1-0 Canada, just because I got a bad feeling about it. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But for uh, Honduras, I'm going to say 2-0. So I'm predicting a six-point week. Well, all of us are perhaps getting out over our skis and thinking that the United States – Men's national team can bring us joy and salvation for once in our lives since 2014. hope it's the case because just like the Indianapolis Colts t-shirt I'm wearing, this the men's national team too has the ability to dictate exactly how my mood is going to be until the next time they play. For the Colts, I was fortunate enough that it was just every Sunday. For the White Sox, the baseball team I like, that's a little bit easier. It's just night to night. 
for a men's national team, if they don't perform well, I'm going to have bitter taste in my mouth until they go out in March and probably a bitter taste in my mouth until they qualify for cutter and that spot is secured. And I think for all three of us, you know, we all are expecting high points from this qualifying window. And at the end of the day, what we should be expecting from the United States is for them to either maintain their position or improve their position in CONCACAF but be sitting in a position for that March window to come rolling around. And so after that March window, they'll be qualified maybe two games into it, and they don't even have to try on the last match day. That all being said, this has been an incredible podcast to get back into. I was off last week for probably the first time since school year started not being on the podcast. It's always great to be back. Michael, we appreciate you checking in from around the, across the pond. And then James, I always love talking men's soccer with you, especially the U.S. Talk about an incredible depth of knowledge. Alexi Lalas, Taylor Twelman have nothing on you, you young stud. I'm Keenan Troy, wishing everyone a happy and safe week. Hoping for points for the United States. Hoping for more than three points for the United States. Hoping for top spot in CONCACAF for the United States. We can control none of that. We can just sit here and speculate, but we're going to speculate all week long. Take care, guys. We'll catch you next week.